The title of our sermon today is pretty strange. You can see it up there. It's this. It's only you can prevent drama fires. Because of copyright law, though, I can't put this up all the time, okay? Because Smokey the Bear is protected. And uh, our lawyers told us we couldn't do that. So this is our slide instead. Only you can prevent drama fires. And that's, that's kind of a weird title, but you're going to understand it as we get into James chapter 3 this morning. We all know that fires can be a very dangerous thing, and they can destroy everything in their path, especially fires that are caused by crockpots, right? <laughs> if you don't get that, you can ask me about it later on. Uh, but in 2014, the public fire department responded to 1.3 million fires. Fires is not something to play around with. But the Bible compares our tongue to a fire. You know, statistics say the average person talks one-fifth of their life. One-fifth of their life is spent talking. In all, if all our words were uh, put into print, the result would be this. A single day's words would be a 50-page book. The words that you speak every day would compile a 50-page book. And over the course of a year, it would compile 132 200-page books, which we all know that's a big book, and I don't read any books longer than 200 pages. Even if the book is longer than 200 pages, I stop right at 200. I'm done. That's all I got in me. But that's like a whole library, right? That's a whole bookshelf full of books. Every year, you literally speak volumes. And among all those words, there are bound to be some that are spoken in anger, carelessness, or without thinking. See, our tongue is a huge part of who we are and how we are perceived. And James chapter 3 goes deeply into how important it is for a Christian to be careful with their tongues. And that's where we're going to be this morning. James chapter 3 and verse 3. It says, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. We've all seen horses with that little piece of metal that's in their mouth, right? And that little piece of metal enables a 200-pound man to control a 2,000-pound horse. It's crazy. It's, it's awesome. And that's what the Bible compares our tongue to. Here's a little side note. The name Philip means lover of horses, right? That's inspiring, right? That's my name, by the way. It's not just Phil. It's Philip. I wish it was Phil because that would just mean love, right? Brother love, you could call me, I guess. Uh, Another side note is, is even though my name means lover of horses, I don't like horses. They've got cold, dead, black, soulless eyes, and I, uh, they freak me out. If, you, if I woke up with a horse staring at me, it, I probably would die right there. But the Bible compares our tongue to the bit in a horse's mouth that controls this 2,000-pound beast. Verse 4 goes on and says, look at the ships also. They are so large and driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. The Titanic's rudder weighed 100 tons. And that's huge. But that rudder controlled a ship that weighed 460 times its weight at 46,000 tons. 
That rudder allowed a 200-pound man to control a boat that weighed 46,000 tons. Verse 5 says, so also. So just like a rudder, just like a bit, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Our tongues are so powerful. And the problem is today is that we have so many uh, forms of communication. We've got texting and calling and uh, social media and email. Your little tongue is more powerful than it has ever been in history. And because of that, it has the ability to start huge drama fires. The spark of your words has great power. And those sinful words can destroy just like a forest fire. Verse 6 goes on. It says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Look at this last part. It says, and set on fire by hell. That word hell is the word Gehenna in the Greek. And Gehenna in Christ's time was literally a city dump that was always burning. So the Bible literally compares our tongue when it's used for sinful actions as a dumpster fire. That's what the the Bible says. Our tongue can be like burning garbage. It's pretty vivid, right? Verse 7 says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We can tame just nearly about every creature in the entire world. We can get a lion to beg. We can get a killer whale to jump through a hoop. And I've even heard some parents are able to get their middle school boys to shower. (laughs) We can tame creatures. But the Bible says the tongue no man can tame. Even the best, most spiritual Christian still has a problem controlling their tongue. It has the power, the Bible says, to be a deadly poison. And no matter how long you've worked on taming your tongue, it will never be fully trained. In fact, some of us have even began to just simply stop trying to train our tongues. Verse 9 goes on, it says, With it, meaning our tongue, we bless the Lord our Father, and with it, We curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. God really calls us out here, right? He says, look, You're using the same tongue to praise me to curse people that I made. You're cursing my creation. God's here saying, what right do you have to speak badly of the people that I made? People that are made in my image. Yeah, you might not like how someone looks. What? Christians would never be like that, right? We would never do that. But God made everyone in his image. And they are each unique masterpieces of God. And some of us think we have the right to say things about how people are built and how they appear. But really, our tongues are running wildfires, starting fires all over the place and spewing out poison. If you want to criticize something, go and create it yourself. 
Go paint a picture and call it ugly. You do that all day long if you want to. But God says, I made people, though. Those are my people. They're made in my image. So you don't have the right to praise me in one breath and curse people in the next breath. And that includes when you look in the mirror. You were made by God. And we don't have the right. We don't have the uh, privilege to be able to look at ourselves and say, I wish I was a little bit taller. Right? We are made in God's image and we don't have the right to criticize and curse these people. We need to stop passing judgment and tearing each other down. And the, the tongue that I use to praise God ought not to curse men. See, the tongue can be used for good or for evil. It's kind of like a gun, right? And I don't know where you stand on gun control, but I think we all could agree that we need stricter tongue control, right? Tongues don't kill people. People kill people. We tear each other down with our tongues. The Bible even goes as far to say this in Proverbs 18, 21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat of its fruit. See, you have the choice to destroy or inspire, to put down or build up, to show love or show hate, to wound or heal, criticize or sympathize, to speak life or speak death. See, words have meaning, and words have the power to ring throughout generations. Four score and seven years ago, I have a dream. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Give me liberty or give me death. Words have power. And the words that you speak have the power of life or death. Words can make a difference. Husbands, words can make a difference in your marriage. Wives, words can make a difference in your marriage. Now this week's Valentine's uh, week, right? So I'm going to give you a simple, just three words that are going to change your marriage, okay? So I want you, if you have a spouse that's here in the room today, I want you to just stare deep and longingly into their eyes right now, if you would. I want you to repeat these three words after me. Come on, guys. I see you over there. You young people think you're too cool for school. Jeez, you stare deep. This is the, these are the three words. You repeat it after me. You ready? I was wrong. That will change your marriage. That's the best thing I could tell you this Valentine's week. I was wrong. I was wrong. Tori and I have an unspoken contest where we try to be the first one to admit that we were wrong. When we just say, hey, look, I'm sorry. I know that I, that I did this. I'm sorry. And it's changed our lives. And Tori and I can both look back on our whole entire marriage and say there's not one time that we can look and there's not one thing that we're always bringing back up, right? You know what that thing is, that thing you did three years ago, and it always comes up in the fight about the car keys or something like that, how you did something terrible. We don't have any of those type of things because we admit and we get past it and we talk through it. See, your marriage is more important than being right. Your marriage is more important than being right. Well, Pastor Phil, I didn't start it. Grow up. <laughs> Grow up. I was wrong. See, our tongues have power. Someone once said, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. <laughs> I live by that. Hey, you think bad of me? <laughs> You're probably right. 
You're probably right, and in fact, you're probably not going far enough. See, there is intense... <laughs> Thanks, Brother Everett. I love you. <laughs> but there's intense freedom in realizing that you are wrong. You know why? It's because it's tiresome trying to convince everybody that you're right all the time and trying to convince yourself that you're right all the time. So the next time your wife tells you that you snapped at her, tell her, I'm sorry, honey, I was wrong. You know why? Maybe you didn't really feel like you did then, but there's probably a hundred times before that you said stuff in your mind that she has no idea what you actually were thinking. For every one time she takes offense, there are hundreds of times you have let her down. If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. Proverbs 21, 23 says, he who keeps his mouth and keeps his tongue, keeps himself out of trouble. If you're a person that's always getting yourself in trouble, this might be your problem. Keep your mouth, keep your tongue. Publius said this, I have often regretted my speech, but never my silence. I've often regretted my speech, but never my silence. See, the tongue is a powerful thing. Death and life are contained in it. It can be used to hurt, or it can be used to heal. Proverbs 15, 4 says a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Ephesians 4, 29 says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only that which is used for edifying and building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those that hear. Psalms 19, 14 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There are one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Your tongue has power. And in fact, your tongue is the most pivotal thing when it comes to your reputation, your testimony, and how people view you. There's a song that's called Words, and the lyrics go like this. They've made me feel like a prisoner. They made me feel set free. They made me feel like a criminal. They made me feel like a king. They lifted my heart to place that I has never been. And they've dragged me down back to where I began. Words can build you up. Words can break you down. Start a fire in your heart or put it out. So let my words be life. Let my words be truth. Let me never say a word unless it points the world back to you. Our words are important. Psalms 39.1 says, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. See, even when people are wicked and they deserve it, even when people are jerks and you think they could use a piece of your mind, it, the wise person understands the importance of controlling their tongue. The Bible says, put a muzzle on it. Don't ever say that to your wife. She just laughed. Never do that. Put a muzzle on it. See, a tongue problem is actually a heart problem. Matthew 15, 18 says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Matthew 12, 34 says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. The tongue problem is actually a heart problem. And the reason we're having problems with our tongues is because it bubbles forth from our heart. And we need to ask God to purify our heart and mind so that we can speak pure and holy words. 
and help people and not hurt people. So let's also remember, if you're not part of the problem and you're not part of the solution, then it's called gossip. If you're talking about something and you're not part of the problem, you're not part of the solution, you're not the one that needs correcting and you're not the one doing the correcting, then we don't need to talk about these things. That's called gossip. And let's also remember that if we have a problem, the Bible tells us to go to that person first. Go to that person first. Matthew 18, 15 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If you go, into any, if you go to anyone else, it's sin. As Christians, a lot of times we go and ask 27 people advice or to pray for us uh, in this situation. What we're really doing is we're just gossiping. And instead of just going right to the person and saying, hey, this is the problem that I have. You said this, or did you mean this, or did... Instead of going right to the person, we like to go to everybody else. And if that doesn't work, going right to the person, Matthew 18 outlines for us the rest of the steps. You go and get an elder in the church and you say, hey, can you go with me and come and talk? And it outlines the whole process. But the first step is going to them first. See, many times our problems stem from misunderstanding and lack of communication we also tend to demonize people because we don't take it right to them. But it's hard to villainize someone when you're looking at them in the eye. I once had a person sit across the table from me, and uh, they had held something against me for months. And they built this elaborate story uh, in their minds about how I was out to ruin their family and to ruin their lives. And they called me names. They literally called me the, 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 blah, 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 the devil. They, they said, Phil, you're the devil. You need to go back where you came from. But when they saw the shock on my face, because I thought I had poured into this family more than anyone else. I had gone to soccer games. I had went and prayed with them in the hospital. I thought I had given myself to this person. And when they saw the shock on my face over the fact that they thought these things of me, they began to cry and ask for my forgiveness. See, they had allowed themselves to build this whole perception in their mind and their, uh, the way they had looked at things had gotten so gnarled and had gotten so uh, twisted, that they couldn't sing straight anymore. And I, I asked them to forgive me for what I had done, and we got things right, and everything was good. But it made me wonder how many people I had done that to. How many times have I had something against somebody, and then I built this whole big storyline about how they were out to do this conspiracy thing? Right? And there, there's the Illuminati's behind this whole problem that I'm having. And I allow this stuff to get so big instead of just going right to the person and saying, hey, this happened. What's up with that? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I, this, this, this. See, Satan loves it when you bottle things up because then he can work his lies into your perception. But we need to shine the light of truth by going right to people. I think I might have given you this before. But I'll probably give it to you again after this. But someone once gave us a simple test for when we should speak. And it's the acronym THINK. That we should think before we speak. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Is it true? See, it's not enough just to think it's true or that you heard it was true. As Christians, we need to stand for truth. We need to be concerned with truth. And that goes all the way to the point of what you share on Facebook. 
You need to make sure that article is true before you share that Donald Trump is actually a robot, okay? And you laugh at that stuff, but people, Christians share that kind of stuff. And all it takes is, there's a little website called Snopes, and you can look up whether things are real or not. So before you hit share, you should do that. And why is that important? Because you have the truth, the real truth, that Jesus died and rose again. And the more that you allow lies to come into who you are and sharing things that are false, it degrades your testimony to the point that nobody's going to believe you anymore. You need to make sure that things are true. Is it helpful? Are you helping a situation or are you hurting? Is it inspiring? It is going to push somebody to keep going or to quit. Is it necessary? And this would take out just about 99% 99% of the terrible things that we say, is it necessary? Do I need to say this? And is it kind? Be nice. That's easy. Be kind. Think before you speak. See, one day all of our tongues are going to be saying the same thing. All of our tongues are going to be used for one purpose. And it tells us that in Philippians 2.9. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him, meaning Jesus, and bestowed him uh, the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and earth, and every tongue can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why don't you repeat after me real quick? Jesus is Lord. Lord. Let's do it one more time louder. Jesus is Lord. Let me say it first, and then you say it back. (laughs) I like your enthusiasm, though. Jesus is Lord. Hey, you got to get used to saying that because one day that's what your tongue's going to be saying. You're going to be bowed on your knees, and that's what heaven's going to be like because that's what you were made to do, to glorify God with your tongue. So let's build each other up. Let's speak life. Let's make sure everything that we do and everything that we say is true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, kind, including me. I'm one of the number one uh, culprits in this message. See, sometimes the older we get, the more that we think we have the freedom to criticize people. And we say things like, well, I just speak my mind. I'm just blunt. Or I'm just telling you what I see. And we act as if those excuses matter. What we're really saying, though, is that we have no control over our tongue. It's going to be used to start fires. It's going to be used to poison people. It's going to cut like a razor. We have no control over it, and we have no intention on ever changing that. Don't allow the devil to use your tongue and use those little excuses. Well, I'm just saying what I think. Nobody cares what you think. Be nice with your tongue. Maybe what you think is the problem. Maybe get your heart right. Too often we use these excuses, I'm just blunt. But what if instead we sought the heart of God to see people with his eyes, the eyes of a creator, looking at his creation with love? It would change the way we talk about people and to people. See, God just doesn't warn us not to say hurtful things to people. God also tells us to lift each other up and to say helpful things that help people. See, we already have the world and the flesh and the devil against us. We need each other. We need to stick together. We need to come alongside one another and cheer each other on in the faith. See, that Jesus left us this model about what we need to do with our tongues. We need to have other Christians around us that we're pulling alongside ourselves, building each other up, pouring into each other's lives with our words. It's called discipleship. 
And each of us as Christians need to be going and making disciples. And then we need to train those disciples to go and make disciples. Gather, grow, give. This is what we're about here. And our tongue is a vital part of that. Because if you don't have your control over your tongue, you will never be able to disciple anyone. See, that's how we got here. That's how we have a Christian church in West Virginia, thousands of years and thousands of miles removed from Christ. It's because some people said, God, I want you to use my tongue to inspire people. God, I want you to use my tongue to further your kingdom. God, I want you to use my tongue to speak the gospel. See, the average person spends one-fifth of their life talking. And if we were to compile all those words in one day, it would be a 50-page book. Over the course of a year, it would be 132 books of 200 pages. And by controlling your tongue, you can prevent some huge drama fires. Psalms 18.21 says, death and life are contained in the power of the tongue. You have the power to destroy or to breathe life into person. That muscle behind your teeth is dangerous, but it can also be used to speak the gospel and train up others in their faith. We need to think before we speak. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it necessary? Is it inspiring? Is it kind? Life and death are contained in the power of the tongue. Let's stand to our feet, bow our heads. As the worship team comes, I want you to ask God right now, God, I need you to show me where I fail with, you, with my tongue. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to do that right now. Pray that prayer. God, show me where I fail you with my tongue. God, am I speaking life or am I speaking death? God, am I building people up or am I tearing people down with my words? That's a convicting thing for me. Because I know there's times that I fail and I take things lightly and I hurt people. As the band plays this morning, the altar's open. If God's speaking to your heart about anything, whether it's the use of your tongue or maybe you've got a loved one that's sick or maybe you just have a big burden and you want to come down to the altar this morning and bring it to God. You could pray in your pew. It's not a special place, but there is something freeing about saying, God, I don't care if anybody sees me. I love you, and that's all I care about. We're going to take some time right now as the music plays.